The following audio is from The House in Rogers, Arkansas. More information about The House Church can be found at www.welcometothehouse.com. As I finish up on um, the series, it's called Everyone Needs a Home. And I think that, you know, just with this, a lot of us have different backgrounds for what kind of home we grew up in, and we probably all have a little bit of a different picture of what home means to us, the picture that we have in our mind, the meaning of home that we have in our mind may be different from chair to chair. But I want to define a little bit about how God described his home in the Word and described his home here on earth. You know, Stephen and I um, traveled for the last three years. I don't know, some of y'all have, you know, heard about Be The One Ministries. That was the ministry Stephen and I started three years ago, or three and a half years ago now. And we began, we went from one location uh, on a church staff. He had been there for 17 years and then going to full, full-time traveling every single weekend at a different church, hosting conferences, taking missions trips. And so it was a life change for us. And um, it was exciting and a lot of uh, things happened through that and continuing, because um, Be The One Ministries continues now. But um, one thing that I remember in the early days of the ministry is Stephen being gone a lot and missing his family, missing us. And so he had, an idea that we should sell our house and buy an RV and just travel together (laughs) and live uh, in the RV. And so I remember that idea and I remember, um, you know, there's a little bit of me that wanted to entertain the thought because I was thinking if we sold everything, my house would always be clean. There would be nothing to pick up after. We'd just live in this small space. We would have a couple of outfits. It would be so simple. Uh, But then I remembered a camping trip we had gone on about a year and a half or two years prior to that that thought. And so we um, actually took our four kids, packed them up into a minivan, put a pop-up camper on the back of that minivan, and decided to uh, basically trek across the country for two weeks of vacation and um, (laughs) it was crazy. Um, I will say we were smart enough to bring our babysitter but we were not smart enough not to go on the trip and um, Sage was, to give you a little bit of a picture of what this was like, Sage was four months old and Trevor was six. Okay, so I had four, six and under, and one four-month-old. And so we decide to, we're going to Branson first. So we go up to Branson. Everything seems seemingly smooth. We had already, by the way, gotten a lot of warnings from people telling us we were crazy. They're like, why do you want to do that? Um, And so I'm up for an adventure. My husband is always up for an adventure. And so um, we go to Branson in August, late August. And I remember um, being in Branson and we never stopped sweating. Uh, Like it never stopped. Like the shower house was even hotter than outside. Like once you took a shower, you walked outside and you were still drenched in sweat. And um, I remember thinking, oh, this is terrible. We got to get up north. Like all this, it'll fix it if we just keep driving north. And so about, I don't know, an hour and a half outside of Branson, headed to Kansas City, uh, we get a flat tire. And so at this point, the heat index was 108 degrees outside. And I remember this clearly. I remember that. Um, and we, <laughs> we had to get out of the car and 
the interesting thing about the place that the tire went flat was the fact that it was on an interstate with 70 miles an hour traffic and then on the other side of the what is that called the shoulder was a ravine <laughs> so there wasn't any spot to stand or to be and so here I am with the kids huddled literally in a circle hoping we either don't fall off the cliff or we don't get ran over by a car and so those are the two options if I don't stay right here with my four kids, then we're going to die. Um, but <laughs> he actually had um, some real trouble with the tire, the spare tire under the van, because it was stuck. And so um, we spent over an hour figuring out how we were going to get the spare tire off and change the tire. Okay, so one bad story. Every trip, every vacation needs a funny memory that you can laugh at later, right? Uh, at least one. Um, but this trip was unique in the fact that it had more than one. And so <laughs> we went to Kansas City and we had a great time there with some friends. And then we um, were leaving Kansas City to um, drive literally across the state of Kansas to Colorado in one day with four kids. And um, so we are leaving and of course don't meet our time frame because we need two more tires. And so by this time, this is three tires on the way to the trip. We get all the way across the state of Kansas, and I think we were in Colorado by like 3.30 in the morning. And I remember telling him, I mean, like I was crying with the kids. Like it was so miserable, the trip, I was crying with the kids. And I felt bad for him because he's just trying to have fun with the family, but it's no longer fun and all the fun that was there was just completely sucked out. It was from the pit. So um, anyway, so here we go to um, Colorado, to Estes Park. Okay, I drive through the Rocky Mountains for the first time in my life. I've been to Colorado, but not through that way. And I remember saying, okay, this is all worth it. This is all worth it. It is beautiful. I love it. I mean, it was just breathtaking. It was so cool. I just thought it was so neat. And so we had a great time in Estes Park. And then we went to Boulder to some friends, spoke at a church. Okay. At this point, now the battery dies. <laughs> so we determined that this great trip needs to be cut shorter. And so from Boulder, we basically just get home as fast as we possibly can. Uh, because it was supposed to be two weeks. Our babysitter was begging us to go home. <laughs> she was like, can we please drive home? Um, and so she probably saw a side of us that was completely different than what she was expecting. <laughs> but um, anyway, so here we are. Um, now, by the time we get home, we have replaced six tires and one battery. And so this trip has cost us way over the budget of what we had determined that it would cost us. Um, but I remember the feeling that we had when we drove home and we got into our driveway and we got home. It literally is the best feeling in the whole wide world. Um, there's something about home that fixes everything. There's something about the home that represents so much peace and stability and rest. It was the first good night's sleep I had had in at least 10, 12 days. And um, I just remember thinking, I don't think I ever want to leave home again. I don't think I ever need to. I've experienced it all. Uh, but obviously, uh, we ended up living, uh, traveling full time on the road, but we determined to keep our house so that we could at least come home every week. And it was a good idea because it, we needed our home. And so I, when I read about the Israelites 
and how they left Egypt and took a 40-year camping trip. <laughs> I think, I, I don't know how I could do it. Um, I look at the numbers and, uh, you know, experts say there was in between 20,000 and 2 million Israelites on this 40-year camping trip. And so I look at this story and I almost look at it as impossible or Jesus just loves me so much that he chose that I would be born in this era and not in the era of the Israelites back then because he probably knew I would fail the test. Um, but uh, many of our lives have been impacted this last few weeks when we've talked about forgiveness and freedom and focus. And as I see the Israelites, I see that God didn't look at how hard that camping trip was going to be. He only thought about, I need to get them home. I know that home will fix it. See, the Israelites had been oppressed, and they were under um, Pharaoh's rule. They had no protection, no stability, no love. They were slaves, and they thought like slaves. They had been enslaved for 215 years. You're talking about mamas, grandpas, and then new people. Okay, so you're talking about they think they are slaves. This is who I am. I am a slave. And so because God could not speak to them when they thought they were slaves, he couldn't convince them any different. He said, I've got to deliver these people. I've got to bring them out of slavery, bring them out of Egypt, and take them home so that they can know my forgiveness, they can know my freedom, they can know what to focus on, and I can truly save my family. Because this, at this point, was God's family. And so, as we look at this, I believe the first reason why we need a home, why everyone needs a home, is because home gives love. Home gives love in a way that nowhere else can. You know, I'm a mama and I love my kids. I love every one of them. <laughs> and you think that's so silly, but you think about it. I love each and every one of them. And when we moved here to find a home, I was not thinking I'm gonna get a home for me and Stephen to live in. I was thinking I need a home that is big enough for all six of us to live in. And also we have a history of having people live with us. Um, and so I needed to make sure that we had enough room for my family and for anybody else who would end up living with us. And so I was thinking of more than just one child. And so I think that it's interesting when we look at Jesus and his sacrifice of love for us, I truly believe we may be a little bit missing it because we're so, we do need to know that he would have died for just one of us. We do need to know that. If you were the only one on the earth, he would have died for you, and he would have come because he loves you and he wants to save you. But as a good father that God is, he sent Jesus in that sacrifice of love for all of us, for as many as possible of us. Because, see, before Jesus came, you had to be a Jew to be in God's family. You had to either be born a Jew or become a Jew to be in God's family. And see, Jesus came and said, I'm going to die, 
and raise again and defeat death, hell, and the grave so that anybody and everybody can be a part of my family because I love them so much. And so Jesus, I believe that he came to save each and every one of us individually, but he also came to come and unite us. Gentile and Jew, everyone come together through Jesus so that I can have a home, that, so that God can have a home, so that you could have a home of unity. And so here we have in Ephesians 2, 16 through 18, it says, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. He treated us as equals and so made us as equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have the same access to the Father. And so in Ephesians, it says, Christ brought us together through his death. He saved each and every one of us as an individual, but he brought us together. You know, see, here we have Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. This is the day we celebrate God's, or Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so here, the crowds are so excited Jesus is there. They're hearing that he's the king of the Jews. They're waving palm leaves at him, and they're saying, Hosanna. And basically, they're crying out to him to save them. They're starting to get wind of the fact that he may be the Messiah. So they're saying, save us, save us, save us. And so then, three days later, the crowd is calling, crucify, crucify, crucify him. And we have often read that scripture and judged them. How terrible of them for them to change their mind so quickly. But really, if you think about it, often we find ourselves in that same place. They had been praying for a king. They had been praying for someone to overturn the government and save them from the oppression. They were wanting a different socioeconomic status. They didn't want to be the low end of the totem pole anymore. They wanted somebody to overturn the government and change the political status and set the Jews free from their oppression. And three days later, when he was going to die, they realized that the picture that they had prayed for didn't look like the same picture. And so all of a sudden they were disappointed and all of a sudden they were angry and all of a sudden they were like, we thought you were going to save us and you're not doing it the way we thought you would do it. And I believe that so many of us find, us in that, find that ourselves in that same spot that we prayed, and then we find out that we're disappointed with God because he did not answer that prayer the way we thought he should have. The way we thought would fix our problem, he did it differently. He usually starts first in the heart because that's exactly what Jesus came to save them from. God realized that it didn't matter how many times he took them under a Pharaoh or a Herod's rule, they would end up back in slavery. They would end up back in the same spot. And so he said, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to show them how much I love them, and I love them so much that I'm going to save them from their inner turmoil. I'm going to give them peace that will never go away, no matter the circumstances. I'm going to give them joy that will not change due to whatever their outside circumstances has. Their happiness won't even affect their joy. Because even when they're unhappy, their joy in me is still there. You know, he, was gonna, he's, he died so that we could have the love 
that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, the love that never fails. He knew that just a new king would not fix them. They, he knew that they needed a savior to bring them home. And so it says in Ephesians, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross, treating us as equals. That can only be done because Jesus died and paid the sacrifice for that. If not, our world is constantly labeling and leveling and determining what status you own up to. The world is constantly trying to tell you what level you are at. And Jesus is saying, Every single person, no matter how much they make and no matter how many degrees they have and no matter their past, can all be a part of my family. And so here we come to um, the second reason why I believe everyone needs a home. And the second one is home confirms identity. You know, when I was growing up, I was the third of three girls. And so we were often grouped together as the Gamble Girls. And so I was, the, I was three years later than they were. They were 18 months apart. And so here I come in on the scene. By the time I come in on the scene, they have already established their reign. And so I was always Amy and Susan's little sister. Oh, you're Amy and Susan's little sister. But I don't know when anybody actually found out my name. Um, but I even to this day, I know I go back, if I recognize someone from when I grew up, I, and I think that they don't recognize me, I'll say, I'm a gamble girl. And of course, their response is, oh, and I'm like, that's all I needed to say. Uh, because that's how I was recognized, because I was a part of that identity, that name. And so here we have, you know, as a young baby, we identify ourselves with our homes, our mom and our dad in our home, the love or the lack thereof in our home, where we live. It, t it tells us whether we're wanted, whether we belong. It tells others, I'm secure, I'm safe. And so here we have the identity that we find in our home as a young child, but then we start growing up. And then we were either the football star or the computer geek. We're a mountaineer or a Blackhawk. We are, okay, we have all ways to identify ourselves of who we are. And so it goes even deeper than that. Because then in our personal lives, we start identifying with what we cannot do. And what limits us. And what our disability is. And why we can't do that. And why our past won't allow us to do this or that. And so God asks us to do something, and what do we say? We fall back to, I can't, I'm not good enough. I can't, I don't have that gift. I can't, I don't. And so here we have another reason why Jesus came and established his home. is because he knew that the slaves had to re-identify themselves as God's family. And we, with who were in the world, have to now re-identify ourselves in Christ, in his family, in his home. When we are not strong, he is strong. When I don't have the gift or the talent, 
and I am unqualified, and I am not capable, he is qualified. Good. Good. And he qualified Good. me to do anything and everything God has called me to do. He has qualified me to be a part of his family. Let's go to Ephesians 2.19 where it says, You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with the same right to the name Christian as anyone. This was the first time in history where everyone had a right to be a part of God's family. They could re-identify themselves and go beyond their physical capabilities, their personality, their, even their natural giftings. God came and said, if you are a part of my home, stop being wandering exiles. Stop being slaves. Come identify yourselves with me, and anything I ask you to do, I will give you the strength to do it. Nothing is impossible with me. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If he is for you, who can be against you? There's a whole other identity that we find in our home in Christ. See, number three, what we, why we need a home is because home establishes stability. It's a, it's a staple for stability. There's this child watch group that did all these statistics on children in a home. And guess what they determined? That a child has to have a home for their health and their development and their growth. Like, it's vitally important for a home to be a part of their lives. I don't know about you, but um, the shows today on family, I don't know what era you're from, but you may be uh, a Brady Bunch watcher, or a Cosby Show and the Huxtables, or the Tanners and Full House, or Fuller House now. And then we have, okay, th these days we have the Duncan family and Good Luck Charlie. And, um, you know, my kids um, will watch shows on TV and they're like, I'm Liv, I'm Maddie, I'm Charlie, I'm Teddy. And they're always identifying with that picture on the screen, you know, what character they want to be in the show. And so, you know, one of the things that draws us to those shows about families is simply the stability. The picture of stability, they are usually, all of the people in the family are attractive. They, um, they live in a very nice, clean home in a safe neighborhood, and they have all these nice friends, and they have this little picture-perfect family that presents something to us like stability and within 30 minutes they have a, a little problem and by the end of 30 minutes everything is happy the family <laughs> loves each other and there's no more problems and so we as a, a imperfect people we're like hey that's a fun family I would love to be a part of the Huxtables or the Tanners okay we would love to be a part of that home and so, obviously, as adults, we know that <laughs> they have scripts and writers and producers and directors full-time at work for them to make that situation work all just perfectly. Because their little problems never seem to be the same kind of problems that were in my house. And they definitely <laughs> got fixed a lot faster than what they got fixed in at my house. And so, but what I want to see today is that God loves us so much that he wants to help us, and he actually is the script writer. He actually does write our story of family and stability. He produces it, 
and he directs it along the way. He is the one who can be our stability in our life. When we become a part of his family, there is a new definition of what we cling to. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in life where you feel like there's everything is going wrong around me, but I need to hang on. And I've even heard worldly sayings where life is a wild ride, hang on. And I think it's funny that the world even knows that we need to hang on. They don't say what to hang on to, but they do tell you to hang on. And I believe God put that inside of us so that we would find the rock that we can hang on to. Yeah, that's good. So that we, I know that when I was young, I remember um, our life was pretty normal, not perfect, but pretty stable. And I remember when my parents started going through separation and divorce in high school. And I remember how upside down my world felt. And I remember how desperate I felt just because I didn't have the answers and I didn't understand what was going on and how my life was changing and why. And so I remember being desperate, seeking God. And I remember opening Psalms and reading when you are overwhelmed, I will lead you to the rock that is higher than you. I mean, that's my paraphrase. But in that moment as a teenager, it was one of my first experiences where everything in my world was going wrong. But I found out what I was supposed to hang on to that never showed. It was unshakable. His rock is so high and so strong and so unshakable, it is stable. When your life is not stable. I want to look right here at um, Ephesians 2.20. It says, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. And I just think it's awesome to see how our lives can go upside down and kind of look a little crazy on the outside. But when we hold on to Jesus, the cornerstone, God then uses us as a brick. And then another person as a brick and another person as a brick to make this home that we can find love and identity and stability in. That we can be a part of this family and we can find the true rock that doesn't shake. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his rock on the, house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and fell, and great was the fall of it. And I think the thing that we need to remember about this passage is that the rock is truly the, the reason why we fall or stand. If we cling to the rock and we cling to his family, and we receive his stability, it's promised us we will stand. But when we trust in people, and we trust in what we think it should look like, and we trust in this fictitious stability that's unreachable, and that's false, we will always fall. 
because that sand cannot hold us up. We cannot trust in the sand. We have to remember that the home, God's home, God's family, God as our scriptwriter, God as our producer, God as our director, is the only reason why we can have stability and not fall. He is the cornerstone. Okay, number four, the reason why I believe everyone needs a home is that home produces growth. It produces growth. I don't know if you know much about the redwood tree, but this is a picture of the root system of a redwood tree. The redwood trees are some of the biggest trees in the world. Uh, one of the last highest ranking one or measuring one was about 378 feet tall. And so you think these are huge forests and these are huge, um, they multiply and they just get bigger and they just get stronger. They are amazingly resilient to storms and winds. They recover from anything else that another tree would die from so quickly and so easily. It would e be easy for us to think their roots are so deep. Their roots are so like hundreds of feet deep under the ground, but actually they're only six to seven feet under the ground. The reason why they're strong is because they're interwoven. And so they, once they take root, it's almost like they only have one root. An entire forest has one root because they're all interlocking. And the reason why they get their nourishment is from each other. They're giving life to each other. They're drawing nutrients from each other. And nourishment goes throughout the entire forest. One of the coolest things about this is what happens is the water goes through the roots. And the roots push it all the way to the top of the tree and continues the growth. And so it's so cool to see that the Holy Spirit is likened to water. And so when we're interwoven and Christ brings us together and we're drawing from each other being life-giving... The Holy Spirit can truly flow through us and continue the growth up and That's wide. Because the forests only get taller and they only get wider because of the root system that is interwoven. And that is exactly how Jesus meant for the church to be. He meant for, to bring everyone together, for us to interweave our roots, for Him to be the source of our root system, and for the Holy Spirit to produce growth in our individual life, in our community, and outside into the world. And that's one thing that I love about Jesus is that he sees a whole picture. That God saw a whole picture and sent Jesus, died on the cross. He died for us. He died for us to come together. And I truly believe that he saw the church of Acts when he was on the cross. He saw the church today when he was on the cross, on the cross because he wanted us so much to come together that he would die for us, save us, and bring a way for us to be life-giving to each other and grow in a way that could never have happened before him. You know, I believe the church of Acts was unified in heart. They all believed that Jesus was the king, the Messiah. He was the Savior. They were unified, but then they were also unified in ministry and in purpose. They understood that they were not there to have a good holy club. The only reason why God had brought them together was to encourage each other, to stir each other up, and send each other out. Yeah. 
They were living better outside of the walls of the church than they were in, and they were impacting the community that they lived in, and the church continued to grow and grow and grow. And I believe that when we grow, oh, sorry, (laughs) when we grow, then we, all of us grow. We all benefit from that growth. And then when we go out into our workplace and we go out into our neighborhoods and we go into our communities and we go grocery shop and we go do life, that we are impacting our communities in such a way that is different because we were there than when we weren't. And that's why I believe that he is establishing a home today in this world that comes back to unity in heart, unity in purpose, unity in giving. They were all giving to whatever God was doing. They were giving of their time and their effort. They were giving of their finances. They were giving of their lives. They were giving of their homes. And they were saying, how can we further Jesus? How can we further what he is doing on this earth? And I believe it's a beautiful picture of what we as a Christ body, a body of Christ, can look like. Iron sharpens iron. You know, in the New Testament, in Genesis, it talks about it's not good for man to be alone. You know, I believe that that was for marriage. He was talking specifically about marriage, but I don't believe he was only talking about marriage. I believe he was talking about his desire for a family. God desired to have a family. And he said, it's not good for y'all to be alone. I want a family. I want a family that will have a home that I can feel comfortable with. I'm going to look at um, this last scripture in Ephesians that closes um, this part. We see it taking shape. The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple which God is quite at home. And I love that wording because... I want Christ to feel quite at home in my heart. And I want Christ to feel quite at home in our body. I want him to be able to rest here and know that we are finding everything we need in him. That he is being exalted. He is being preached. He is being lifted up. And he is going out into this world and through us and changing it. That it's not an internal, an only internal club, but it's a club that comes together, is encouraged, and goes out. Peter and John was in prison shortly after Jesus died and rose again because they were praying for the sick and they were being healed. And they were imprisoned, and then they let them go, and then they came back where? To the church. They came back to the church. Why? For the church to say, oh, y'all shouldn't go do that anymore. Because, I mean, we need to stay out of prison. You know, that's a bad reputation. No, the church said, this is what the word of God says, prayed for them, and sent them back out to keep on furthering the gospel. Because the world will always agree with, oh, no, don't go to prison anymore. Don't go preach Jesus anymore. That'll get you in trouble. Don't do what God's called you to do. Don't do the right thing. Because that, after all, that's really hard. That's what the world is constantly, they're celebrating with our weaknesses. They're uh, they're labeling us and wanting to keep us down. But see, Jesus came to say, it has nothing to do with how good you are. 
And it has nothing to do with how talented you are. And it has nothing to do. It only has to do with you believing my word and going out and doing what I said to do. And so the believers in the church prayed for them, spoke the word over them, and sent them back out to do what God had called them to do. I think it's just such a beautiful picture of what the church can be. And I know as we close today that Stephen and our heart is for this church to be that kind of church. To be a church that Jesus is glorified. Not just inside of these walls, but literally that what we do in these walls makes a difference in the world around us. That it's not just for us. That my home is not just for me. Jesus' home is not just for him. It's for all of us. And so... I know that I've been a part of the church as a whole for 34 years. And I have experienced a lot of good, bad, and ugly. I have experienced leaders who lied or teachers that failed or immoral problems. I have, I have experienced some wrong things through the church. But ultimately, over the 34 years of me being a part of the body of Christ and the family of God... I have experienced more love. I have experienced more who I am in Him. I have found my identity in Christ because of the body of Christ. I have found stability because of the body of Christ. I have found growth in my life. There is no Absolutely no way I could grow at the level that I have grown in the last years if I had not been a part of the body of Christ. And I know there's negative, but for me, I still believe the word that he still wants a family and he still wants a home. And it doesn't matter who does what, that I'm still going to be plugged into his family. I'm going to still be in his home. I'm going to still be doing what the word says to do, which is to encourage each other, stir up each other's gifts, and to send us back out to do what God's called us to do, even in the midst of imperfect people, even in the midst of offense, even in the midst of whatever may came our way. I am going to be a part of the family of God. I am going to be a part of a place that is a home that God is welcome. Thanks for listening. To see what's happening at the house, follow us on social media at the house underscore NWA.